1: Now, here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio.
2: And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Ken Gerhardt back with us. Ken is widely recognized cryptozoologist, author, lecturer, who frequently appears on television, has traveled the world searching for evidence of mysterious creatures, including Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, the Chupacabra, Mothman. In addition, Ken has written a number of books on the subject of unknown animals, and his research has been featured on numerous TV shows as well. Several of his books include The Essential Guide to Bigfoot, Encounters with Flying Humanoids, Mothman, Manbirds, Gargoyles, and other winged creatures and beasts as well. His website linked up at coasttocoastam.com. Ken, what a bizarre story about that fisherman, huh?
3: Good evening, George. Always an honor to speak with you, my friend. Good to have you with us. Yeah, that is a weird story. Yeah, I just caught wind of that uh, in the last couple of days myself.
2: Now, you, you came across a strange one, too, about a Bigfoot skull being dug up or something. What happened? Yeah, this is uh, pretty, pretty big
3: news in the uh, Bigfoot world. Uh, just a few days ago, actually last week, a uh, wildlife researcher and YouTube, YouTuber named uh, Coyote Peterson posted a video of what appeared to be a large hominid skull, a great ape skull, that he was digging up out of the mud in uh, British Columbia, Canada, which, of course, is a, has a long history and tradition of the so-called Sasquatch. That's right. Uh, so this created a lot of buzz. Um, you know, looking at the video, George, uh, you know, most Bigfoot researchers with just a basic understanding of physical anthropology will recognize that it is clearly a gorilla-type skull. Uh, it displayed a lot of prognathism, that is, the jaw was kind of pushed forward. And in thousands of Bigfoot and Sasquatch accounts, almost uh, across the board, we always hear descriptions of a relatively flat profiler face. So this thing didn't really look like a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch at first, but um, uh, it turns out that it, it, it seems as though that this particular skull is either a gorilla skull replica that was planted there, perhaps by this gentleman or someone else, Uh, And, you know, less likely that it is actually a gorilla skull that just randomly ended up in the mud up there in British Columbia, Canada. But, uh, uh, unfortunately, not a Bigfoot or Sasquatch skull, although maybe this is a precursor to to a future event and, and how we will discover definitive evidence that Bigfoot exists.
2: Why hasn't science, Ken, done a more thorough job investigating and searching for Bigfoot? I mean... It's left it up to the good cryptozoologists like you to go hunting. But why haven't they done something concerted as a major effort?
3: Well, there have been a handful of scientists through the years that have gotten involved, of course, physical anthropologists like Dr. Grover Krantz, Dr. Jeff Meldrum, John bender and so forth. But you're right. The the majority of the scientific establishment, um, you know, I think for a number of reasons, I think Bigfoot is a very hands-off subject. Uh, It's very controversial. There doesn't seem to be, you know, unless you really delved into the evidence, there doesn't seem to be a lot of evidence superficially. Now, cryptozoologists, like myself, realize how much evidence there is in terms of physical trace evidence, footprints, thousands of sightings, native legends, and and so forth, but... uh I think uh, many scientists are probably afraid of their reputations being tarnished, Mm -hmm. uh, losing stature at their institutions, missing out on grants and so forth. So it's very unfortunate, um, but hopefully we'll reach a point where more scientists will become involved.
2: There is a camp in the Bigfoot area that believes this creature is dimensional, not physical, but dimensional. What do you think of that?
3: That's true. I I run across those accounts. uh, Well, actually, claims, I would say, uh, Uh, Bigfoot experiencers, uh, people that claim that there are sort of supernatural elements to Bigfoot, that it's able to use what they call mind speak, telepathically communicating, that it uh, can cloak its body and vanish it, you know, into thin air. So um, I've never experienced any of that stuff, and I've been investigating Bigfoot for decades all over the continent. Um, I know a number of leading Bigfoot investigators Starting in the 50s, uh, the giants of the field like John Green, Renee DeHinden, Peter Byrne, none of those guys ever experienced anything supernatural, but uh, those accounts do come in, you know, they do come into play. Now, I would say that the, the evidence would point to the fact that it's, it's a, a minority of reports, a very small percentage right. that actually describe these supernatural attributes.
2: The Northwest but, region, uh, Ken, of the United States seems to be loaded with these reports, too.
3: Yes. Uh, Traditionally, we first heard of the Sasquatch in British Columbia, Canada. Starting in the 1920s, there was a guy named J.W. Burns that was documenting native traditions of these hairy giants. And then, of course, uh, we heard about Bigfoot coming out of Northern California in the 1950s when uh, footprints were being found. Um, Traditionally, uh, Washington and Oregon have a lot of accounts. So, yes, the Pacific Northwest seems to be the... Uh, sort of the nexus of Bigfoot or Sasquatch activity, although you do have a lot of reports in some eastern states like Florida, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Kentucky, Texas, and so forth.
2: Do you get reports of thunderbirds, these huge pterodactyl-type birds?
3: Yes. In fact, uh, that's one of my primary focuses within the field of cryptozoology, are accounts of wind cryptids. Uh, I get two basic types, George. I do get the pterodactyl-type accounts, people describing something prehistoric with leathery wings and reptilian features, wingspans ranging from 6 to 20 feet across. Uh, I also get reports of feathered, giant feathered birds, monster birds with wingspans 15 to 20 feet across, uh, basically like about the size of small airplanes. So we do get both types of accounts. Both are labeled thunderbirds, uh, uh, although... um, The pterodactyl types, of course, would not be birds at all, but flying reptiles, if if those exist. Um, But yes, uh, there are a number of those accounts. Uh, Just uh, last year, I actually mounted an expedition to north-central Pennsylvania to search for the monster bird type of Thunderbird. Uh, That region in the Black Forest up there seems to have a long history of accounts of these monster birds dating back to the 1920s and even the 19th century.
2: And they're bigger than the condors, aren't they?
3: Yes. uh, The North American condor, the California condor, Gymnogypes californianus, has a wingspan of about nine and a half feet across at the biggest.
2: That's still still a big bird. That's a big bird.
3: But uh, the average wingspan reported uh, for a Thunderbird, a modern Thunderbird, and this is based uh, out of my, uh, I have a database of sightings and, and a lot of data on this, is about 14 feet across. Now, that's an estimate. Because people, of course, are, are unfortunately very poor at estimating the size of things yeah. that are flying up in the air. So,
2: Wasn't there a report that somebody was flying their Cessna and a Thunderbird came right by it and was just as big?
3: Uh, yes, pretty much. Uh, there was a bush pilot named John Booker up in Alaska, and in October of 2002, he was flying his, his Cessna plane with a passenger and claims that he saw one of these Thunderbirds flying alongside of him. Now, he estimated its wingspan is about 14 feet across, which was about half the width of his plane, or about the length of one wing, which is still pretty darn big and much larger than a condor, of course.
2: What happened at the Amarillo Zoo? Something was happening out there.
3: Yeah, it's actually been a kind of an interesting year for Cryptid events, uh, George. Um, So, uh, uh, on at the end of May, uh, May 21st to be exact of this year, at about 1:30 in the morning, there was apparently an image or video captured by security cameras at the Amarillo Zoo. And in the image, which quickly went viral online, there appears to be a humanoid or a bipedal type of being, um, sort of wolf-like features pointy ears and a snout, uh, seems to be furry and somewhat Um, humanoid-looking. Slightly amorphous quality to it, but, um, you know, people were guessing all over. (laughs) People were coming at me left and right asking me what I thought of this thing. Now, uh, of course, many people tried to connect this thing to this so-called dog man, which is kind of like a half-man, half-dog type creature that people have been reporting all over North America.
2: Walks, Walks upright.
3: Yeah, walks upright, mostly. There are accounts of them sometimes going down on all fours, but they do have humanoid features. <clears throat> um, but this particular figure in the, uh, in the video, there are a couple of issues. One is that it has kind of a strange posture. That is, its uh, torso and upper body seems to be kind of leaning backward against its, what appear to be its leg. So it's not standing exactly upright or leaning forward, which is what we would expect to see. Um, And like many cryptid videos and images, it's a little bit ambiguous. So even with the enhanced image, it's hard to tell exactly what we're looking at. Uh, Some people think that it might be kind of a hoaxer, somebody in a costume playing a prank. Um, What I noticed when I blew up the image is that uh, the image lacks biological symmetry. That is, it doesn't appear to be an animal or a person. It has kind of almost a a phantom-like quality to it. Um so then you could speculate that maybe it's something more supernatural if you believe in that type of thing, or maybe it's just an optical illusion of some way.
1: I'm Katya Adler, host of the Global Story. Over the last twenty five years I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico.
2: Kenny, we don't hear too much about the Loch Ness monster anymore. How come?
3: Well, um, I think the people that are tied into the Loch Ness monster, and there' certainly there are researchers on Loch Ness that have, you know, like Steve Felton and and others that have been studying the phenomenon for years, and they do collect uh, about ten good reports still each year. But George, the most notable thing with regard to the Loch Ness monster phenomenon is that. In recent years, there have been some remarkable sonar contacts of very large, unidentified objects swimming around under the lock. And for example, as recently as April of this year, there was a tourist named Tom Ingram who was on a cruise tour boat going across Loch Ness, and when he glanced over at the sonar screen, he saw this huge, solid mass swimming about 400 feet below the boat. And very similar to a sonar contact that was made in October of 2020 by a guy named Ronald McKenzie, who was operating a tour boat. And uh, these masses are about 30 to 40 feet long. They appear to be moving around inanimate. And uh, really, the sonar evidence is the most overlooked aspect of the Loch Ness phenomenon. We know that there have been a number of hoaxed photos. Uh, There are a number of eyewitness accounts numbering in the thousands, but Dating back to the 1954, there have been consistent unidentified sonar contacts with huge 30 to 40-foot objects swimming around under the lock, and really no one has been able to adequately explain what those are.
2: Pretty dramatic. It's, it's 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 amazing. And whatever the creature is since it's been going on has had to have died, and they must be reproducing. It can't live that long.
3: Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, if we assume that it's an unknown species, then there would have to be a viable breeding population in the lock. Now, what, what that would consist of, you know, it'd be pure speculation, George, but it's been estimated that you would have to have at least maybe a dozen individuals to avoid any type of genetic bottlenecks, you know, where, where a species could go extinct. So, um, it sounds hard to believe, but when you figure, how much water is in Loch Ness. I think it's like 263 billion cubic feet of water. I mean, the the lock is like 800 feet deep. Uh, I mean, it's, yeah, there there could conceivably be a, a group or a family of these creatures down there.
2: Tell us about the Minnesota Iceman.
3: The Minnesota Iceman is one of those weird subplots in the field of Bigfoot. Now, Way back in 1969, two cryptozoologists announced that they had examined the dead body of some ape like humanoid creature that was frozen in a block of ice and strangely had been shown around at different carnivals and sideshows in the Midwest and elsewhere. And uh, this created quite a stir in the media, of course. Uh, The Smithsonian Institute became involved for a short time. The FBI almost became involved. And then the owner of this particular exhibit, a guy named Frank Hansen, uh, apparently got nervous and disappeared for a while. And when he resurfaced, he claimed that he had hidden this creature, uh, and now he had this model or replica that he was going to tour around with instead, and you know, basically represented it. So a lot of conspiracy folks in the Bigfoot field think that there there was a Bigfoot body, a dead Bigfoot that this guy had in this block of ice, and that basically he, uh, you know, he disappeared with it when he felt like he might get in, into some kind of legal jeopardy. So that, that's kind of the story. Hmm. And uh, in recent years, the latex Minnesota Iceman, we know for sure it's latex. We've several of us have examined it, has turned up at the Museum of the Weird in Austin and it's on display to this day. But there's still many people who think that there was an actual flesh and blood version that this model was based on uh, because these two just studied this thing and now, granted, it was frozen in ice. They they, they weren't granted the, uh, the courtesy of having it thawed out. But they examined this thing for like two or three days, and they were convinced that it was real.
2: Could they see it pretty well, even though it was in ice? Well,
3: the ice was somewhat opaque in places. And uh, they were challenged as far as it was being kept in kind of a small tractor trailer. So they did their very best job to—they uh, did photographs as best they could, sketches. Um, the main thing is that they they claimed they could smell its rotting, decaying flesh coming up through cracks in the ice in the uh, enclosure. And they could see gaseous gaseous bubbles of decomposition. So that's what really convinced them that it was real, is that whatever they were looking at seemed to be decomposing flesh.
2: Wasn't there a case a couple years ago, Ken, where some people claimed they had a carcass of Bigfoot, but it was really a, a costume that they stuffed with deer guts?
3: Yeah. Do you remember exactly. that? Yep. That was like in 2008 or nine, I believe, and some, some guys in Georgia, uh, they and this was actually based on the Minnesota Iceman in, they, in kind of a funny kind yeah, of way. It was a hoax.
2: They almost got away with it.
3: They almost did. They made a big media announcement, and uh, 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 allegedly they sold this thing to a guy for $10,000, and, uh, yeah, it was a, a pretty big deal at the time, but it was exposed as a
2: hoax. I booted a guy off the show. I won't mention his name, who was charging for people to look at Bigfoot that he claimed he had captured. And he said, "You know, for a couple bucks, folks, you get to turn on the TV and go see it." And, uh, and of wow. course, there was. I, I wonder who that might be. Yeah, <laughs> you know who it was. Yeah, I probably do. <laughs> but uh, I mean, are there a lot of hoaxers out there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hoaxing
3: has been a big part of the Bigfoot field and also cryptozoology in general. I mentioned many photos of the Loch Ness Monster were hoaxed. The famous surgeon's photo that everyone knows of, the Loch Ness Monster, the head and neck photo, is most likely a hoax. Uh, There have been a lot of hoaxed Bigfoot prints and and, uh, films and things as well. So, um, you know, it's hard to figure out exactly why that happens, George. I'm thinking that a lot of it might be uh, sort of based in economics, it seems like Bigfoot is you know big money, and uh, so is Loch Ness, and some some of these other cryptids as well. Uh, you know, and of course, some people just like attention or like stirring the pot, I guess. So, but uh, in, that is, in
2: in in Star Wars, Chewbacca, I think he yeah. was modeled after a Bigfoot, wasn't he? Um,
3: that is a rumor that's been circulating for years that George Lucas may have modeled chewbacca on a big foot now here's a funny story about that they filmed the third film return of the jedi part of it was filmed in northern california and um when chewbacca was on set and walking around they actually put an orange vest on the actor i can't remember his name uh, mayhew i think so,
2: so, so somebody he wouldn't shoot him huh
3: So somebody would not shoot him thinking he was a Bigfoot walking around. So there's definitely a Chewbacca Bigfoot connection in that respect.
1: Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.
0: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment,
1: oh my God. We've summoned something from this board.
0: This is Uncanny USA.
1: He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed.
0: (laughs) Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.